you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And for this episode, we're going to be talking about our first Marvel treasury. We're going to be finally getting to a Marvel book. And in this case, it is G.I. Joe, a real American hero, which was a one-shot Marvel Treasury Edition published in 1982. And joining me to talk about this very special book is from Pod Stallions, our pal Brian Heiler. Hi, Brian. Hey, glad to be here. I'm very excited to have you here because this is... uh, this is not a book I really ever expected to talk about, even though I do have a, a kind of a personal story on it. But you, I know you love this book. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yes. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. I just want to talk about briefly about what this comic is exactly. Now, of course, by 1982, Marvel and DC were both wrapping up their treasuries. In fact, DC had gotten rid of them entirely. Marvel had shifted into doing treasuries only with licensed products. So they really weren't doing Spider-Man or any of their heroes. They were just, whatever licensing they had, that's what they did as a treasury. And around this time, they did a Smurfs treasury. They did, uh, yeah. yeah. They did an adaptation of Annie, the musical, because who doesn't want to hear about a musical in comic book format? Uh, I remember thinking all treasuries sucked in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, I can't blame you for that opinion, but, you know, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, Marvel really was just saying, oh, do we have a license? Let's do it as a treasury. And they did G.I. Joe. And this particular yeah. treasury, which is pretty much just the first issue of the comic, blown up. Yeah. And there's really no difference between the two books. It's just a larger size. So, well, and it makes so much sense. The synergy of getting it into toy stores is of course, brilliant. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the book is basically just one, two stories. There's a main story, and the, the title of that one is Lady Doomsday. It's written by the regular G.I. Joe scripter Larry Hama. The penciler is Herb Trimpey, the late great Herb Trimpey, and the inker is Bob McLeod. And yeah. the, the, the plot of which I'm going to do very briefly, which is, is this. It's a nuclear physicist named Adele Burkhart is traveling by train under Heavy Blues Brothers' protection. During a press conference, the train, <laughs> the train is attacked by an armed squad led by the Baroness. The Baroness yeah. jumps out a glass window with a doctor, is picked up and by a balloon. By, and yeah, she has a balloon in her, in like her backpack. She's then yeah. picked up by a helicopter emblazoned with the logo of Cobra. Uh, at the Pentagon, members of the U.S. military determine that the only possible course of action is a successful ref- rescue. That means calling in the special counterterrorist group G.I. Joe. We meet the Joes, led by Colonel Clayton Abernathy, a.k.a. Hawk, during their training. They're Scarlet, Grunt, Stalker, Short Fuse, Flash, Breaker, and the Mute Snake Eyes. Hawk explains the mission and their target, Dr. Burkhart, whom he describes thusly. We all know this woman. The media painted a pretty bleak picture of her, but inflammatory headlines help sell newspapers, right? The Joes break into Cobra's base and grab Dr. Burkhart, except it's not her. It's the Baroness in disguise. Luckily, other members of the team find the real Dr. Burkhart, and thanks to Scarlet's well-aimed throwing star, she is recovered. 
Cobra's base is blown up, but the Baroness and Cobra Commander get away, planning their next plot to take over the world. Uh, there is a second story. Hot uh, Potato. Hot Potato, which is basically the Joes lost in the desert. And there are some special features here, which are pinups, which are really just sort of bios of our characters. And Absolutely. So, yeah, so like I said, this is really much, pretty much just the first issue blown up to a large size. So, uh, it, you know, the, well, okay, Brian, why is this book so beloved to you? Well, I, I can, there's a number of reasons. They're mostly the personal, but, um, you know, I was that kid. I, I grew up in that sweet spot where I remembered the 12-inch Joes, and they went away too quickly in my life. You know, I think they went away when I was six. You know, you just couldn't buy G.I. Joe anymore. And so they came back, and I think I was, I think I was only 10 or 11 when the, when the, the Real American Hero came out. And, you know, a bit older, so they released this comic, and they TV advertised this comic. They did. I remember seeing it on TV. I couldn't believe that I was seeing a comic book on television. Yeah. And it was a brilliant little move because it promoted the toys with you know more dynamic than they could at the time for TV advertising. You wouldn't be allowed to do what you did with that comic. So it, it really captured my imagination. And then, of course, the Larry Hama writing was just slightly more adult than mm-hmm. a, a toy comic you know what i mean like oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah it, it had he was he was taking he was taking it very seriously it wasn't camped up so you know here i am 11 and and it really sung to me and it was my last hurrah with toys because you know i think you know it only lasted about a year my interest in the whole line and then i, I as i recall that cartoon came out and i didn't like that cartoon it was too simplified it was <laughs> To, and I, you know, I, you're, you're, maybe if I was a couple years younger, I would have stuck with it. But I was, you know, I was turning into a, a teenager, so it, it kind of ended very, very naturally, I'd say. But that comic, that first comic, I, I just, I read that a hundred times. I think I thought it was fantastic. It, it's a really great introduction. You don't feel like you're being sold a toy line. You're being sold a comic. <laughs> Right, because, you know? I mean, the characters have little squabbles and motivations. Yeah, there is, you know, a little more to it. I love on the cover, it says, uh, G.I. Joe, the ultimate weapon of democracy. Because you know, <laughs> that's a thing. Uh, but, but, I mean, the cover is, is beautiful. I mean, it is, yeah. if you're a kid and you're looking for something exciting, this is about as exciting as it gets. Because it's got all the Joes and the tank and the cover is blood red. And they're all firing their weapons. I mean, I remember buying this as a treasury. And, man, this, it really is exciting to look at. Do you, did you remember, did you buy it off the newsstand, I guess, at the time? I, the I bought it off the newsstand. And I bought every issue probably for the next year after. And I remember there was a big thing about issue number two was so less printed than issue number one. It right. was worth money right away. Right. And I had I had a copy of number two, and I lorded that over the other kids at the book between. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it really was. I still I still adore that comic. I don't collect real American hero. I'm not, you know, like that just didn't, that nostalgia isn't there for me, mm. but I, I do, I don't, I don't hate it. If that, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I understand why people collect it and love it. And, and I think it's great. And, um, <laughs> it's funny. You, you were very kind enough to gift me, um, the copy of the treasury edition this year. And it, it happened during a time where all my stuff was out of the house. I was selling my house. So I had no, geek stuff at all in my house and this treasury edition lands and i was really excited 
to to read it and and review it and it's like god i was i was guessing the dialogue before <laughs> it was like wow i had a good memory you know? <laughs> there was no surprises in that thing whatsoever i couldn't get over that i'm glad to hear that yeah you you mentioned it on your great show pod steins which is a real a podcast i really enjoy and you mentioned how much you love this comic and i had it in storage and, you know, I bought it uh, again uh, to, to scan it and put it up on my website, the Treasury website. And it was just sitting in storage. And I'm like, I, you know what? Brian's going to give it a good – like, you spoke so warmly of it that oh, I, was yeah. like, I was like, I'm not doing anything with it. But Brian will enjoy it. And I, I remember it was funny. I pull back the curtain. I asked Brian what his address was without telling him why. And he was just like, uh, okay, what, what's up? Like, I could tell you, you get a little yeah. nervous. Like, why do you know? Like, oh, no, I'm sending you something. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> is, is a lawyer going to show up? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that always gives me pause because I've been asked for my address a few times. But, yeah, and uh, but that was, that was so mind-blowing. I loved getting it. And, and um, I collect treasuries. I think you and I kind of bonded over treasuries originally on the, the old so, Museum yeah. days because you started uh, Treasury – is it treasuryedition.com? Treasurycomics.com. Treasurycomics.com. And I've been there enough. I should know that. And um, that was one of our early conversations was about treasuries. I mean, they're my earliest memories. And I thought of you today because um, I was out at a home furnishing store with the wife looking for furniture. And in the corner, I could see a blown up cover of a Batman treasury edition. Wow. Uh, framed for, I think it was $30, but it was giant. And I thought of you, I took a photo of it. I'll send it to you. Very cool. It's, it's like, wow, a treasury edition, you know, um, li- limited print As at decor. a store. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that awesome Batman one where the villains heads are in, um, in the spotlights. Ah, that's the very first book that we covered on the show. Oh, no kidding. C- yeah. C-37. Yeah. The Batman, the yeah. old villains issue. Yeah. That's cool. And, and you know, just uh, getting off on treasuries a little bit. Um, I can honestly remember it being a giant deal. Seeing Robin shot on that, um, uh, Raja Ghoul. That's the, we covered that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I spoke of that until I drove my parents crazy and they drove me to the store and I bought it. <laughs> I needed to know. Right. My God, he might die if I don't find out what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, uh, this J.I. Joe comic in particular, it's funny. I I was never a big J.I. Joe fan. I didn't have the toys. Uh, it was just all too militaristic to me for, uh, you know, I just, it just didn't, gun, people with guns and stuff just didn't appeal to me. That said, uh, I have mentioned, I think on the Fire and Water podcast occasionally when I talk about my childhood is I had a, a very beloved relative. My, we call, I called him Uncle Fred. He was technically my great Uncle Fred because he's my father's uncle. And that's a lot. That's a long title though. So long yeah, title. I, did, I did that Fred, too. Yeah, I just called him, we all just called him Uncle Fred. And, and I, Uncle Fred was very handy and made lots of dioramas and made puzzles for me. And like, I, I really loved him. He was probably my favorite of sort of my relatives. And, and, um, by the time I came around, he was already in his late seventies. And so by the time I got to be like eight or nine, he was in his eighties and he had taken my father out when they were, when he was a child and taken my siblings out. But by the time I came around, he was pretty old, but 
I did get to do one afternoon with Uncle Fred, and we toured around Philadelphia. He lived in, in, in uh, Cheltenham, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philly. And we went into the city, and he, we went to a bookstore, and this comic was for sale. Uh, the G.I. Joe Treasury. I, I still remember the store, what the store looked like, its racks, and it had these giant spaces for periodicals. And there was this G.I. Joe comic, and I remember sitting on a bench reading this comic, and he bought it for me. And it, that's a wonderful memory. I, the comic itself, I'm kind of okay on, but the memory is wonderful that this was the one and only trip I ever had out with, had out with Uncle Fred by myself. And he bought, That's me, an this, awesome story. bought me this comic. Yeah, it's, it really is a wonderful... And, you know, yeah, Marvel's treasuries by the end were not very good, but I'm still glad they were doing them. You know, they still yeah, were well, doing a couple of them. It's a piece of our childhood, you know? Um, the, um, the thing you mentioned about military, I was never a big military guy either. Uh, but the thing that got me over that with G.I. Joe was there was enough science fiction in there. Right, right. So, you know, they had jetpacks and lasers, like they had Flash, who was a laser guy. And um, so there was just enough fantasy, uh, like, you know, and, and of course, Cobra was a, a colorful villain. Oh, yeah. That I could kind of catch on to that. Um, and of course, that was kind of the style at the time. I mean, TV, movies, there was a lot of military stuff going on. And uh, but yeah, it it didn't take on me. I, I don't I, like if you wander around my little toy compound here, the closest thing to a military thing I have are some adventure team G.I. Joes, right. <laughs> which aren't really that militaristic at all. Right. Um, I don't collect Eagle Force. I don't collect uh, Joe. I, oh, you know what I do have? I have a Sergeant Rock action figure, and that's more of my love for Joe Kubert's art right, right, right. than the actual military stuff. So I, I totally feel you on that. Yeah. This is a fun story. I mean, again, it's nice to see it at a big size. Herb Trimpey and Bob McLeod make a nice combat. And Bob McLeod was a great anchor. He made everybody look really good. And Herb Trimpey was a terrific artist. So, you know, there's some nice shots here. I mean, this wasn't done originally as a treasury. Uh, and when they commissioned it, so it's I don't think that Herb Trimpey, maybe Herb Trimpey would have done a slightly different kind of work, uh, kind of job, if he had known that it was going to be printed at this larger size. But but it pretty much looks like a standard comic. Uh, there is a, an extra feature that the pinup. There's a centerfold of the command center, the GI Joe command center, which they call the pit. And yeah. It's a diagram and it's a cutaway of like one, two, three, six layers of their compound. And that looks really cool. I mean, I don't remember what it looked like at normal size, but it, as a treasury size, it looks great. I mean, and you can read all, you can see all the detail and you see there's a pool and like the, where the tank is parked. And so that's a really nice feature and the pinups are nice too. So, you know, it is, again, as, as everyone knows, that's why I'm doing the show. I love seeing comics at this giant size. So yeah. seeing these special features and the pinup of Scarlet, where she's shooting an apple off of the guy, off of a guy's head. She's got her crossbow and, uh, the other characters. Uh, th- Those that, pinups that, were in fun. the. They were in the smaller version too. Right. Right. Uh, and and that was printed on deluxe paper too. I think yep. the smaller version. So, it, they, they really did a nice job on that. And I think they sold millions of those. Yeah, GI Joe was a big sell. I think I read an interview yeah. with Larry Hama once where he said at one point GI Joe was Marvel's best selling title. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't discount that at all. Um, it probably hopped from Star Wars to GI Joe pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it was a big, I mean, it, it appealed to an audience that Marvel superhero comics did not appeal to. And yeah, so I, you know, I was surprised, too. Um, 
I'd say this is probably going back to the 90s, but I, I remember I was working in some accounting firm with a guy, and uh, he was a comic guy. And I said, what's your favorite comic? And he goes, G.I. Joe. <laughs> and he, he's my age, and I was surprised at that. I mean, he's maybe a year younger than me, but um, how much passion he had for that comic series. Like, he wrote it out right to the end. I think it died in... I think it died in 92? Yeah, it ran a long 90, time. 91? Yeah. They started killing the characters. I remember that. Oh, wow. Jeez. I'm, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, you know, that, that comic, that, that, that Treasury Edition, to me, would have been the perfect plot and way to introduce the characters for a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they did that uh, Rise of Cobra movie, I couldn't believe how convoluted and strange it was. And it didn't keep any of the elements of what drew people to the characters in the first place in that first issue. Interesting. Uh, you know, I just there's not enough of uh, what went on in what was really everyone's first exposure to real American hero. Yeah, yeah. I said it's a great. It's a good. It said if you saw it at that at that big size, it's, you know. Yeah. Way, oh yeah. Way and way cool. I I remember seeing it in toy stores. And thinking that's a good idea. Yes, I still don't know why. I guess you know there, like anything, there's business decisions. But I never understand why, with all the movies coming out, DC and Marvel don't just slap together a Treasury edition of Spider-Man and put it next to their toys at a Target. I don't. I don't it seems like you'd sell a million of those things. You think so? Especially you know with the trade, the coloring books still sell. Yeah. Um, They've got. I mean, but, now that now that Marvel and DC have three movies coming out every year. Why not put together a Hulk treasury? Just reprint some stories and put it out there. I, I keep trying. I, I, I will, I'll go on Twitter and I will tag DC and Marvel and try and get them to point. I'll be like, guys, do a Guardians of the Galaxy treasury edition, which, in fact, they are doing next year. Uh, are they really? They are. Marvel, because Marvel's doing treasuries again. Which yeah, it's Spidey, right? They Spidey, did Spidey stories? They did Spidey. And then next year they're doing, uh, I think it's called Women of Power, which is all women superheroes. And then they're doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. Yes. That's great. Yeah, I'm very excited. So, yeah, I'm very happy. that That's part of the reason I wanted to do the show again is that it gave me the chance to not only talk about stuff from the past that I love, but actually to look forward because there are new treasuries coming out. So I'm very excited. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, as much as, uh, you know, selling this comic to sell toys is a very mercenary act, it nevertheless was so exciting. It's just really exciting to be able to get the comic next to the toy. It's, it's just it blows your little kid mind. Yeah, exactly, and and it it, it opens up um, a nice window to its universe. Yeah, you know, like I I don't know about you, but I loved Micronauts comics, and I love showing oh, what's yeah. coming. Oh, oh yeah, and uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen those as Treasury editions for oh, sure. Micronauts by Michael yeah. Golden. Oh yeah, that oh, art is my. so good. And Shogun Warrior. What, yeah. what toy is better suited for a giant comic than the Shogun yeah. Warriors? Yeah, let's go back in time. Let's go do. Let's go make that happen. Let's do it, man. We're, I, I'm going I'm to sign off here, and we're going to we're going to work on that. If hey, if, if you you're listening to this show, and you tell yourself, "What are you guys talking about?" I had a Shogun Warriors treasury. That is because Brian and I were successfully yeah. able to go back yeah. in time. So, and I am my own grandfather now. Somehow, <laughs> That's perfect. I'm going to mess some other things with the timeline. Yeah, I want to get into some yeah. other 
fix, there's other some other things in 2016 I'm going to fix. So oh um, no, what are those? We have well, we're going to look. <laughs> I think some of you could probably guess what they are. Uh, we'll have to look forward to that. So uh, Brian, thank you so much for for talking about this. This was not it's a book. It's been a pleasure. I, this was never a book I I imagine. Even though I had my own personal story, this was not a book I ever would imagine that I would cover on the show. And I'm glad I got the chance to. So thank you for coming on and, and talking about this. It was super fun. Anytime, man. I really enjoyed it. All right. So where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at uh, the Migo Museum. Uh, I hang around on the forums there. Also, I have my own website called PlaidStallions.com, and we do a monthly podcast with myself and Jason Lindsay called Pod Stallions, where we pick a topic and run with it. it can, one month it could be comics, it could be toys, it could be movies. And, of course, we ramble off topic for the entire time. So. Very much so. Sometimes you start off rambling, and then you get to the topic later on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there's no there's no wrong way to get to the destination. That's it's right. just basically a car ride, and you're sitting in the back seat listening to two guys talk. It's a fun show. I love it. As soon as there's a new episode, I, I download it immediately and listen to it. It's really, really. It is. I, I hope. I hope to have some good news for you soon. Ooh, yeah, very good. Very cool. So, We've had some technical issues. Yes, I, I can't can't wait for it to come back. It's really, really cool. I really have been Thank enjoying. I've been sort of savoring that that current episode. So we're you know, we'll get rid of it too soon. So, uh, yeah, everybody, uh, I want you to stay tuned. And when we come back, we're going to do some listener feedback. But in the meantime, I suggest you go, again, go to uh, Brian's site, uh, pod, uh, not pod stallions, pladstallions.com, where you can learn about all kinds of crazy 70s stuff and 70s toys and all this other kinds of things. And uh, you want to learn, you'll, you'll learn some stuff. And, uh, of course, as we all know, learning is half the battle. So, uh, again, enjoy these, enjoy these podcast commercials, and we'll be right back. And, again, Brian, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I regret to say, sir, Batman and Robin are not at present available. What? Oh, surely you you must be jesting. Alas, sir, I am not. Gotham City is overcome by villainy on the comic page from the likes of the Joker, <laughs> the Riddler, and the Penguin. As they run rampant, only one man has the courage, the gall, and the skills to face the Silver Age. Hi, I'm J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. If you haven't guessed, this is an overly dramatic promo for my show, The Dave Cave, a Batman podcast looking at the tales of the dynamic duo from the Silver Age. Come back with me to a time when Batman was less grim, Robin was content to wear hot pants, and the villains didn't rip their own faces off. Each episode will examine a tale from the pages of comics such as Batman, Detective Comics, The Brave and the Bold, and World's Finest Comics. It's all the bat action, bat adventure, and bat puns that you can handle on The Dave Cave, available at thedavecavepodcast.com, iTunes, or the podcatcher of your choice. The Dave Cave Batman Podcast, because in the Silver Age, there were no limits. Holy unsatisfying ending. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s, from everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, we'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle 
will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGPod.com and CordIndustries.blogspot.com. And now we're back for some listener feedback. So let us start with iTunes reviews. We have two new iTunes reviews. Thank you. First is from Clinton Robison, and he says, Size does matter. Do you feel something is missing? Are normal-sized comics leaving you unsatisfied? Look no further, because what you need is Treasury Cast. Each episode, Rob Kelly talks about those oversized gems with a guest who loves the material almost as much as he does. Act now. Podcast supplies are unlimited and free, so you have no excuse to not be satisfied with your comics any longer. Thank you, Clinton, and I look forward to your upcoming podcast that you've been teasing about. Uh, it should be pretty good. We also have an iTunes review from Travis Hemockery, wonderful name, The Forbidden Fruit of My Youth. As a little kid in the late 1970s, these ginormous comic books were beyond my means and nearly beyond my comprehension. Whenever I borrowed one from a friend and opened it up, the pages filled my lap and overwhelmed my eyes. I never asked my parents to shell out for one, but when DC brought back the format in the 90s, I scooped up every issue. Nowadays, I scour the convention, searching for treasury treasures and reconnecting with my youth. This podcast is a wonderful companion to those oversized delights. If you've ever laid eyes on a treasury-sized comic, subscribe to this podcast. That's a great review. Thank you so much, Travis, and thank you, Clinton, for the two new iTunes reviews. Really appreciate it. Please leave us some more. It helps the show get found. Go over to uh, iTunes and leave us reviews, five stars. That would be greatly appreciated. So thanks, guys. Now we're going to move on to the feedback we got on the website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. We start off with our pal, Michael Bailey. This story hit me right in the feels when it first came out, and it did again hearing Rob and Ange talk about it. I'd forgotten about the Azzarello thing at the end and have to assume that he had a visit from three ghosts before making that suggestion and then assume that doing so squared him with his dead partner and he went right back to thinking that Lex Luthor is the hero of the story. It's not only a heartwarming ending, it's appropriate for the story. Like Rob, I greatly enjoyed Marvel confronting the abusive father and commend Dini on not making it simple. Marvel beats him up and everything's okay story point. Abuse of any form is a complicated thing, and while most of us would love nothing more than to pound the living crap out of anyone that abuses children, women, and animals, often the situation is more nuanced than that, and I appreciated Dini not going down the black and white road. I look forward to you covering the other volumes in this line. The only one I don't have is the Wonder Woman, and I need to get that at some point. Yes, you do, Michael. The Superman one is my favorite, which says we shocks absolutely no one, but the Shazam one comes in in second by a safety. Look at Mike with the uh, sports references. I don't get what he's talking about, but maybe some of you do. Anyway, uh, we got another comment from Ado Boznar. He says, The story certainly does sound good, but I'm not in a hurry to read it because I really don't like Ross's art. It just doesn't work for me. I find it looks too much like photographs or motion picture stills so that any story with his art reminds me of a photo novel. It's too bad because the story really does seem like it's a winner, but I can't help but but think it would have been better if the art had been by someone like, say, Garcia Lopez, Frisbee's name, or even someone with a more cartoony style like Bruce Timm or Rick Burchett to approximate the look of C.C. Beck's art. Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network says, uh, The wife looked over my shoulder as I was viewing the scans of the story. Her response to Alex Ross's art? That's too realistic and weird-looking, kind of freaking me out. To reach your own, I guess. Martin Gray continues the pile-on where he says, Can he show, lads? I'm not a fan of these collaborations. Alex Ross's art I generally find more impressive than attractive, too often his characters look constipated, and his cap here looks a little sinister at times. 
More problematic is the presentation. It draws attention to the artificiality of the proceedings, giving me, giving me cartooning and word balloons, and I become immersed in the experience of a team artwork using posed models with a faffy font, and the whole thing becomes rather lifeless. I don't consider Power of Hope and its companion treasure editions so much as big storybooks. <sighs> Guys, you really are trying to reduce my Power of Hope by giving me all these negative reviews. Is anyone going to come to Alex Ross's rescue here? Chris Franklin, also from the network, says, Great episode, gents. I love these treasuries. Ah, oh, Chris, thank you. And I always got the feeling that their storybook nature and the focus on children in most of them was meant to appeal directly to young kids and the general non-comic reading public. I'm a big fan of Ross's work, and in fact, at one time he was my favorite working artist. I get some of the criticisms here and there, but I have never gotten the stiff critique. The storytelling in these pages shows that Ross was very capable of capturing fluid motion and actually conveying the story without narration. I think it's sad that comic book superheroes are seen as anything but exemplars nowadays. In my opinion, the adults-only version should be the rare exception, not the norm. And certainly Captain Marvel has no business being grittied up. I know DC tried an all-ages title with the Captain, but perhaps if they stuck with a more traditional art style or actually developed an animated series with Cap, that would help boost the character and give kids a standard superhero comic they could read again. Thank you, Chris. Your comment was like a cool drink on a hot day. I appreciate it because I love these books, and I was—I have to admit, I was a little flummoxed by how much sort of negativity came in for Alex Ross's art. But again, as Ryan says, uh, to each her own. Yuzum Yuganori, our pal, says, In the early adventures, Billy Batson and Captain Marvel were two separate beings that switched places when the word Shazam was spoken. I presume one was at the Rock of Eternity while the other was on Earth. I believe the concept of Billy Batson becoming Captain Marvel in body, but with the mind and personality of Billy Batson first started with the Legend series, though I may be wrong. I did like how Jerry Ordway used this concept to good effect in Power of the Shazam series. Thank you, Sam. Another negative review, surprise, surprise, comes in from Frank, and he just says, I didn't like any of the Deanie Ross books except the JLA ones. Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, uh, Siskoid, also from our network, he chimes in with, this episode is a perfect example of why I listen to the show. The love just pours out. Thank you very much, Siskoid. I really appreciate that. We're now going to move on to Twitter, where we are going to list the retweets and likes. So thanks, everybody, for these. It helps the show get noticed. And uh, as always, if I left anybody out, please let me know so I can give you credit in a later episode. Uh, we have to thank DC in the 1980s, the Shazam cast, Black Vulcan 69, Rolled Spine, Captain Marvel Talk, Nicholas Shaw, JSlab425, Barry Reese Pulp, Siskoid, Man Punch It, Ryan Jaleo One, Trick or Talk, Mountain Flower One, Dennis Cattell, Warlord World, Xenophiles, Xenozoic Files. I always get that wrong. Wild Pod, Shazam Movie News, Shazamaholic. A lot of Shazam love over on Twitter. Longbox Crusade, BTV Blog, Dr. Ange 70, Where's Wally West, John D. Knoll, Grim Helm, Ma Hillman 1995, David Gallagher, Marquis Leader, Hevo Dell, Stromberg Don, Danny PK, and Grekel. So thanks, everybody. I love getting the retweets and the likes because uh, that's, again, that's going to help the show get noticed. So before we close that here, I have one little bit of treasury news. Uh, pretend that there is some audio file being dropped in behind me. Uh, I haven't come up with that yet. Uh, but yeah, we have a little bit of treasury news. Since the last time we did an episode, there is a brand new treasury out. Marvel has released its brand new collected edition, which is called Heroes of Power, The Women of Marvel. And it is five stories featuring all female superheroes. It came out on uh, Wednesday, January 11th. It is a really, really fun book. Uh, you can get it 
uh, through various comic stores or on Amazon. It also is available on Comixology, although reading a Treasury comic via Comixology really is missing the point. But in case, uh, for some reason, you just can't get a hold of a copy, you can get it on Comixology. And, and please, everybody, not only is it a really great book, I mean, I think it's just a really solid bunch of stories. I'm not familiar with like any of the characters, because it was like Spider-Gwen and Gwenpool, characters that I only vaguely even knew existed. If you go out and buy it, you're going to encourage Marvel and maybe even DC to do more of these. And Marvel does have another treasury on tap for the Guardians of the Galaxy in April, just in time for the movie. Perfect. So it's a really, really solid book. I think it would make a great kind of gift maybe for somebody. Uh, maybe not for little kids because Gwenpool is, I guess, like the female version of Deadpool. So you know what that's about. But uh, I really did like it. It features a Wasp story drawn by Alan Davis. So Alan Davis art at treasury size. That's worth the price of admission all by itself. So go pick that book up. Um, Heroes of Power, the Women of Marvel Treasury Edition. I am so, so happy that Marvel is doing treasuries again. I can only hope we can get DC to do them too. Because IDW is doing them. Marvel's doing them. Come on, everybody. Let's get DC back doing these treasuries. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for the comments, for the retweets, for the likes, for the iTunes reviews. Everything is really appreciated. Uh, people are really giving me a lot of good feedback for the show, and I, I deeply, deeply appreciate it. The show has been a whole lot of fun to do. And I have to thank Brian Hyler for coming on to talk about G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Uh, that's a fun book. And I didn't, it was one of those things where, you know, I never thought I would get to that one because I didn't know anybody who was a fan. And then when Brian said that, that, that he, that was a beloved book to him, I thought it was perfect because I always enjoyed talking to Brian. So I thank him very much for doing the show. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll see you uh, soon for the next episode. Until then, go big or go home. She's been kidnapped by Cobra. We have no alternative. Call in G.I. Joe. fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Who's leader of the Joe team? Buck. He's America's best. He's in control. He's a man Good luck, Joe. He lives his day. The legend of G.I. Joe. The legend of G.I. Joe. You from Marvel Comics.